Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, I messed up the first one, so maybe this will be more concise. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce, and welcome to my YouTube channel slash podcast extraordinaire systemization of conversation. Today's guest is Ben, alias GNC Centric, on Twitter and YouTube. I stumbled across her YouTube channel about the time that I found the Peak Resilience Project, and I found this young woman to be incredibly straightforward, refreshingly open, um, even dealing with the most uh, problematic material. And by problematic, I mean uh, incendiary material. She had a kind of a very intense youth and then got involved in LGBT communities in Toronto and then in the kink community online and then I, I suppose locally. And she details her experiences in these groups, and they're rather harrowing and, I guess, borderline explicit, but certainly um, certainly stuff that's got to be carefully handled. And the way that I want to frame this, to contextualize this, to quote that fabulous academic Nathan Rambukana, the way that I want to positionality us towards these stories is to say that in any human organization, in any group, where there is a lapse or a lack of accountability, there will be an abuse of power. So wherever there's no oversight or very explicit rules that distinguish people in power from people who are not in power, those who are in power, whether implicitly or explicitly, will end up abusing the most vulnerable people. And the way that abuse happens is going to vary depending on the MO of the group and the MO of the people who are in that group. So, that being said, there should be more openness about this topic. This is entering into territory that I'm sure will be weaponized or potentially weaponized, but I think it's important to know. And I also want to plug her channel. It's down in the description. I'll put a link up there. She's definitely somebody for you to watch, especially if you're young and you're questioning or you're feeling kind of dicey about the way that your life and your sexuality is flourishing and being discovered and then being talked about online. And if you're an adult and you're interested in these things, I think that she has a very refreshing viewpoint. Um, and I think she's going to go pretty far um, in her life. She also plays music and I didn't get her to play any music for me. So that all being said, here's Ben, alias GNC Centric. Hey. Hi. How's it going? How's it going? I'm good. I haven't been on Skype in like over a year. This is oh. very strange for me. <laughs> Why is it strange? Just talking to somebody. Yeah. Also, like all of this stuff, I've only brought it onto YouTube like in the last month because I'm way more confident with my writing skills than my speaking skills. <laughs> where did where does your writing end up going? Um. Well, most of it was on Tumblr when I was younger, but now I have a medium. Oh, okay. Uh. How long have you been doing the medium thing? About a month, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. How many articles do you have out already? I think four. Oh. Yeah. You're coming out of the gate, just... <laughs> well, I was like... Um, I've just been um, kind of... <clears throat> the more I see 
more people transitioning for ridiculous reasons, the more I'm concerned that younger people are going to take medical steps without fully comprehending. Or even like for me, I thought the only option was transition. I just want people to hear that there's other options if you have dysphoria. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, I guess we can dive right in. Um, oh, just before we start, um, yeah. in one of your videos, you were like, I feel weird asking questions, sexual questions, because I'm older. I don't know if you've seen my videos, but they're pretty TMI. Feel free to ask me whatever you want. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, your YouTube channel is refreshingly too much information. Yeah, that's what I was going for, because people will describe dysphoria and they'll just describe sexual attraction. But what does that mean when you're a kid and you have no context? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you have a very open, you're a very open book about it. And and while you're being an open book, you seem, the way that you're doing it is very honest. And it's not like you're trying to convince anybody. You're just speaking your own truth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which... Like, while I was in the trans community, there's the whole idea of, like, male privilege and all that kind of nonsense. So, and also to do with passing, I really hate my voice. So while I identified as trans, I have literally spoke less. And, like, on Tumblr, I didn't post much about, like, what I was experiencing. It was more like, well, how what I'm doing affects the trans community. Like, it wasn't about me. So... Now that I kind of have like the power to just speak about myself without being influenced like that, it's it's really refreshing. Yeah. You brought up male privilege in the trans community. Is that assigned to you when you are a female to male? Then you yeah, automatically get male privilege. So <laughs> yeah, like okay, it's it's the most ridiculous. Like I remember the first time I ever went to a trans youth group, I was fifteen. I hadn't come out to anybody. Like, just, I had, like, five friends or something that knew. But, like, my school and my family, nobody knew. And I remember going there, and there was discussions of male privilege, and people were talking about how even closeted trans men, so somebody who appears to be, like, a teenage girl, has male privilege over trans women. And I was just like, what is wrong with you people? Like, if you if you walk in, like, you step out into the world to interact with people, nobody's treating you like a man. It It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, like, that's a reason that you're told to shut up quite often. Really? Because you have privilege. Yeah. And it's like, like, I have a story. Okay, so you know in Canada we have Bill C-16? Yeah. So before it was passed, I don't know what year this was. Um, I, um, so me and my younger trans guy friend, we were part of this trans youth group. And some people were making posters for like a C-16 rally. And we were like, oh, well, we can't go to the rally um, but we can go to help make the posters. So we were at the basement of this community center and it was us two trans guys. Like he was 15, I was 16. And there were three trans women who were all like 40s and 50s, like much older. And um, I had just been to the gynecologist like a week before or something. And I was discussing with my trans guy friend like how I hated my period and how going to the gynecologist gave me dysphoria and stuff like that. And these trans women, they like interrupted us and they were like, oh, you don't know what kind of a privilege it is to have your period and have the capacity to bear life. And you don't know, like, how much... It, like, you have cramps, but we just wish we had cramps. And, like, all this bullshit. And I was like... They literally were objectifying our suffering as a kind of fantasy for themselves. And we were like... Uh, like, I don't know, I think I was 16. And, 
and like you're all, you're conditioned with this you have privilege you shouldn't talk so we were just like oh yeah that's too bad you can't actually like get a uterus and have periods like we didn't say much but like for trans men when they go to the gynecologist I don't know if you saw my video about how I spent like two days in bed like curled up crying like unable to move like depressed like and our periods are a huge source of our dysphoria but whenever you talk about it you're told you have privilege and like you're or that you're triggering trans women so you can't talk about it hmm. and like it's just ridiculous um it really upsets me how like young females are just basically told to shut up do you think that is kind of why from my perspective just being an observer and not knowing that much about this still um it doesn't seem like there's a lot of vocal trans men do you think exactly. that's because yeah. it's suppressed and they're trained in the movement not to represent like the movement. Two things I think that are really big. First is, like, now that I've stepped back from the trans community, I can really see, like, female and male socialization. Like, females are more, um, like, I not naturally, but they're, it's more expected of them to be, like, nurturing and understanding and supportive. And trans men are nurturing and understanding and supportive. Like, we take all the trans women's ideology and we internalize it and we support them. But, like, like exactly what you said, in that process of studying to be part of the ideology, you've silenced yourself. So, yeah, it, it's that's something that really upsets me. So you, a female to male, in, in, enters into this group and... Not only are they female on the outside, not only are they str uh, struggling with their femininity or their femaleness on the inside, uh, but they enter into this support group and then they're cast to the bottom of the pile yeah. and they're, exactly. uh, they're forced to be, the, you get the worst of both worlds. Exactly. And you're yeah. like the atlas for everybody else's suffering. Exactly. Yeah. It's... It's so disturbing when you think about, like, this is probably a 14-year-old girl who's, like, sexually repressed or has eating disorder or something, like, depression. Like, this is just some kid, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, you talked with Helena about social media a bit. And um, it's like you said, like, uh, you kind of indoctrinate yourself. Like, I've been studying Scientology recently. <laughs> And they have a mandatory two and a half hours a day of studying. Do you know, like, the average amount of time a trans kid spends on Tumblr a day? No. Way more than two and a half hours. Do you know the average amount of time trans kids watch YouTube a day? Like, that can um, combine with Tumblr way more than two and a half hours. You're just, at such a young age, when you're just learning how to, like, think for yourself, you're just, like, inundating yourself with these um, like ideologies that you're internalizing and taking on as your own, but you haven't actually done any of your own self-exploration. You're just absorbing this stuff. Um, what initiated you wanting to study this stuff and delving into this stuff and what made it rapider and deeper? Yeah, um, I'm actually a little bit different than most of my friends. Um, so at the beginning, like when I was 13, 14, it was just YouTube videos and Tumblr posts and whatever. But by the time I was like 15, 16, I would actually go to the public library and look up like I remember looking up stuff by um, what's the autogynephilia doctor? Uh, Blanchard. I remember like looking up like really big books that are just like references and like reading through the stuff. Or I remember 
I read everything Julia Sereno I could get my hands on, and I went to her book readings. And um, at University of Toronto, sometimes when they had like new book releases, or they would have like open lectures about queer theory and stuff, I would go to all that stuff. Most of my friends didn't do that. But it was because, um, like I saw stuff on Tumblr, but it all seemed so theoretical to me. I wanted to see like the real world, how it works. Um, so I went like full blown into the whole queer theory thing. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of it has to do with also you're told like, this is feminism. This is what like we're gaining equality. It, again, it's kind of like a cult. You're told like, this is what you can do to fix the world. You're going to make the world a better place. So then of course, why wouldn't you spend all your time invested in that? Well, you make your own world your own self a better person yeah. and or you fix the problems through this and then you get yeah. to fix the world too yeah well it's like i was kind of tweeting about this it's like they tell you had like if you had like gender confusion or bo issues with your body or your sexuality you didn't know what it was but you come up to them and you say oh i have these problems and they're like oh you're trans so it's like they diagnose the problem and then they tell you how to fix the problem like oh then you need to transition so from from the beginning like you might not really have thought about it for yourself. You're just kind of told, like, explained, this is what you're going through. Yeah. You it's, mentioned trans youth group. Who leads these things? And who's the, you know, who are the uh, high priests of this on the internet? Uh, okay, so I actually, I wrote an article for Fourth Wave Now um, about this. I'll link it to you so you can put it in the description if you'd like. Um okay. So often these trans youth groups are led by older trans people. Um, it makes sense to me, like if you had a gay youth group, you'd want it to be led by a gay person, right? But the problem is, if you're unsure about your gender, or if you want to transition and you go to these kinds of groups, you immediately see somebody that did what you want to do. So it's like not even a question of can I do it? It's like, oh, they're trans, I want to be trans, there I go. Like, this is my path, they're going to help me, that's it. Like, so there's no, like, there's no step of questioning, really. Yeah. Um, so in my thing, I wrote about Morgan Page. I don't know if you know who she is, um, or he is a trans woman. Um, but they, um, they, they had, um, what do you call, a workshop at Planned Parenthood Toronto about overcoming the cotton stealing was basically like a pickup artist-y thing for trans women to hook up with lesbians yeah this was in 2012 i was completely out of my periphery i didn't hear about it until after i left the trans community and i didn't realize that was the person who had been leading my trans youth group for three years until after i left huh. this person in the trans youth group it was kind of like tumblr come alive we discussed erotic fan fiction we discussed like specific techniques for doing specific sexual acts we discussed like kinky stuff we talked about porn um and the most disturbing thing was like it was similar to that other c16 story there was like always like less than four trans men and they were all under the age of 18 and there was always more than like five trans women or non-binary males who were like over the age of 20. So the power dynamic in the room was always very off. Like, so when they were discussing sexual stuff, sometimes Morgan would turn to us and be like, oh, is this cool with you guys? But it's like, if it's not cool with one of us and we're younger and we're sitting at a big table, we're not going to tell everybody to stop talking. And especially when you consider, like, this is an insecure teenage female, basically. So, yeah, it was, it was like, 
everything on Tumblr was becoming real life for me. Like, people were actually telling me, like, oh, you're a trans misogynist for these reasons, like, to my face. And, like, one of my most memorable experiences was, so my trans friend was 15, this trans guy, and I was 16. And we were talking to this trans woman who was, like, 25, and she called herself a lesbian. And she, we were, like, walking down the street to McDonald's after the trans youth group or something. And she was explaining to us, like, how we exhibit trans misogyny and how we need to, like, learn to, like, listen and support um, trans women more. And I was like, this person has access to hormones. This person has, like, a good full-time job with, like, a pension. This person has, like, their living situation is under their control. Both of us are, like, closeted living at home with, like, eating disorders and, like, mental health issues that are un untreated like and they're telling us we have privilege and we need to like be quiet and listen to their stories more it's just like at the time i was totally drinking the kool-aid but i never the thing about telling me to be quiet i never really like was okay with that and also like like i said i wasn't aware of the cotton ceiling at that time but as soon as i like became aware of the situation i was totally not okay with that either um those were two of my big kind of like I don't know, I guess, like, signs that something this was up. sounds like the worst fear of, you know, a conservative pe person thinking, well, this is just a group for grooming young women. It, it basically is. Like, I also mentioned in that article um, and in my kink video that I, I once knew a 14-year-old trans man who was in a relationship with, like, a 25-year-old trans woman. And, like, the trans woman was the dom and the trans man was the sub. So what you have is, like, a 25-year-old male who has like a sub who's like a 14 year old girl. What is that? That's pedophilia. Like what, what is that? That's sexual abuse. But for some reason in the trans community, because the younger one is considered to be the man, it's like fine. Or because it's like kinky and we're in like a sex positive environment, it's unquestionable. Like those are the things that happen. And the, the most disturbing things that happen in that group, like those relationships happened outside the group and we would sometimes talk about them, but within the actual group, a couple of times, do you know what a tranny chaser is? Uh, kind of like an ambulance chaser, so a, a lawyer who <laughs> tries to sue people no, into taking hormones. It's somebody who has a fetish for trans people. Yeah. So I didn't realize until I was in the group that there are tranny chasers who are themselves trans. So there would be like us trans men who were like under the age of 18, all of us, probably under the age of 16 during this story. And there was these trans women who were in their 40s and they came in and they were literally hitting on us. And they were like being very explicit and very sexual about our bodies. And it's like we have dysphoria. We came here to talk about our dysphoria, our trans stuff. And they're like talking about like, I don't know, I don't want to say on camera, but very explicit things. And people, they didn't want to kick them out. They didn't want to tell them to stop. They just kept like changing the subjects. And I was like, I was shocked because... This is supposed to be a place for young people to come and explore and be safe. Like, what the hell is that? That's not safe. That's not a good, like, environment for exploration. Yeah, um, the only time they were ever kicked out, Morgan was away, and this other trans man filled in for her. And it's really telling to me that the only time that these predators were ever kicked out was when a trans man was in charge. So a female person who could relate to the females in the room who were being, like, objectified. Yeah. It just makes me wonder if... 
the trans youth groups should be sex segregated. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, that's the thing, too, is they're actually, I remember when I first found this youth group, so I was looking, um, in Toronto, there's the 519, which is like a, it's like a LGBT community center. Um, and so they have all kinds of stuff, like being like an LGBT parent, that kind of thing, like, you know, support groups, events. But there was like a couple of different groups, like, um, for like trans women sex workers to get food and condoms. And there's like, I don't know, but I just remember looking up, there was like multiple groups that were focused around trans women or non-binary people, but there was like no groups at all for trans men, like at all. So that's why I was going to that one. There wasn't any for trans men. Hmm. Yeah. Has that Um, changed so far as you know? I have no idea. Um, Like I moved to the middle of nowhere, literally the middle of nowhere, 3000 kilometers away from Toronto. And I'm not really in contact with anybody there. And I don't go to any LGBT events because I'm so sick of being asked my pronouns. It's just like, leave me alone. (laughs) So I I kind of disconnected from that whole community at this point. And also like when I detransitioned, a lot of my friends, like they took it personally. So and also, once you detransition, it doesn't mean you don't want to transition anymore. It means you've consciously made the decision that transition will not fix your problems, usually. So seeing my friends who were transitioning or who are transitioning is kind of painful because, like, I want to do what, they want, they're, what they're doing, even though if I know on an intellectual level that... Yeah, so I'm not really connected with those people anymore. Did yeah. you have dysphoria before you started researching this stuff? Yeah, that's what I think is different than me and the peak resilience people. Um, Like, if you watch all of my dysphoria videos, which is like an hour. um, But uh, I talk about how most of my dysphoria started when I was, um, like, prepubescent. And um, it's, yeah, so I don't think it's rapid onset. Um, And, I like, it still exists to this day. It's just kind of morphed into something different. Okay. And... So when you recognized that transition wasn't helping you resolve these other problems or that gender dysphoria was caught up with a bunch of other things, um, did that come as a relief or did you just completely start to rebuild how you were thinking about your various uh, difficulties? Um, Well, it kind of didn't happen in that order. So... Actually, after I became gender critical, I was still trans for almost two years, um, which made me very niche. There was almost no gender critical. At the time, there was almost no gender critical trans people on Tumblr. And actually, I just want to say that is when I got the most hate on the the entire in my entire journey. The most hate I got was when I was a gender critical trans person, because I was there openly asking, like, oh, do you have um, are you concerned? like what queer theory is do you have questions about dysphoria that kind of thing i was like come talk to me and we got like rape threats and death threats and all that kind of stuff like from trans people like they would say like you're a traitor you're a turf whatever but yeah so i had like all these little peak trans moments kind of where i noticed like the narcissist males who were in charge or how like they were silencing female victims of sexual assault within the community like, trans men being assaulted by trans women is actually pretty common, but you're not allowed to talk about it because it's enforcing transphobic stereotypes. Hmm. So, that's How it. How did you get it's turned on to gender criticalism? Um, okay, so, my best friend at the time, kind of still, he he's like an actual homosexual gay man. And we tried, like, 
dating online. And then we realized like queer ideology is bullshit. I'm a female and he's a male and he's homosexual and this not doesn't work. So um, we were kind of like confused. We're like, what the hell? Queer, queer ideology is bullshit. So we he had a friend from childhood who had uh, briefly identified as trans and then detransitioned and she was a lesbian. And he was like, we should talk to my friend. So we started talking to her and she got me um, into the gender critical stuff on Tumblr and I found one post that was just like, um, it was just like links to different books. And I went nuts. I, at that time in my life, I was skipping school so much. Like I couldn't handle being there and I couldn't handle people talking to me and all kinds of stuff. But I would skip school almost every day and go to McDonald's or like Starbucks and then just read Andrea Dworkin and write like really long blog posts on Tumblr about it. And but I still identified as a trans man. Like, so I realized that gender was all like costume and it was like nothing. And I thought gender ide ideology or gender identity was garbage. But I thought I have dysphoria. This is the only way that I can see for myself to manage my dysphoria, which is, I think that's the view of most gender critical trans people or the trans rational people. Um, but like when I moved to university, and I was completely away from my family and my, um, like the environment that had been causing me stress. And I finally was able to just be Ben and everybody called me Ben and there was like no question. I could finally, for the first time in my life, like actually address inside of me what was going on. Okay. So it was like the first time I ever like realized, like a lot of gender dysphoria has to just do with you not being able to pass. Like I never liked my chest or my breasts, I guess. Um, but the more I tried to pass, the more I hated them because the more of an impediment they became. So when I stopped trying to pass, a lot of my dysphoria lifted because it, it had I had like compounded things that I had felt to the point where they were like a huge issue to me every single day. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was like a really long process too. Like detransitioning journey, it took like over, over a year for me to really like decide that's what I wanted to do, tell my friends, come out, all that kind of stuff. Did you do yeah. a non-binary gray zone transition? No. Um, just... Actually, I thought that was interesting, the other people. Um, no, because, like like I said, I was so gender critical at that point. I completely thought, like, like a part of what made, helped me detransition was we, when I became gender critical on Tumblr, people would often, like, attack me, and I had to or I didn't have to, but I would defend myself and I would say, like, I'm a female person, so I know this. And I just feel like the more I said I'm a female person, the more I said I'm a female who experiences this, I kind of, because before I had been identifying as a male, which, like, you can't identify as a biological reality. Like, it, you can't just identify into having a penis. It doesn't work that way. So I finally was, like, accepting that I'm a female. And the more I said it, the more I was, like, relating to the other female on Tumblr who were like gender nonconforming lesbians and stuff. And I could see myself in them a little bit more. So by the time I decided to do transition, I was just thinking of myself as a gender nonconforming female. I didn't think of myself as a woman really, cause that was still kind of painful. Um, like I remember like um, when I first found gender critical feminists, they would call me um, sister. And I was like, Whoa, Oh, 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 I'm not a female. Mm. But, like, I slowly became to, like, accept that I am a female. Yeah, I think that identifying as a male really made my dysphoria worse. Because 
like if you tell yourself a man and then you look down at your body and you're not a man like that hurts and if you do that to yourself every day it just hurts worse mm-hmm. yeah did you want to was the seat of your dysphoria inside of you in the beginning and then became more and more outside of you as you progressed yeah, for in sure. like like i mentioned in my one of my videos um like the first time I had an issue with my chest was just when I started growing breasts. I felt like there was like a bruise on my rib cage. I was like, what the hell is that? I remember putting on my seatbelt and being like, what the hell is this thing between my rib cage and my seatbelt? I even went to the doctor and I was like, there's something on my chest. What the hell is that? Make it go away. And she kind of like laughed at me and she's like, oh, you poor child, you're just going through dysphoria. And I was like, or puberty. <laughs> um, and I was like, what the hell is wrong with you people? Why can't you take me seriously? This is like an actual big problem. None of you think it's important. So it was like very internal at that point in my life. I don't know how old it was, like nine or something. And, um, but then, like I said, like the more I tried to pass, the more, um, the more I tried, yeah, just the more I tried to pass, the more my dysphoria got worse. And also like with sexuality, when I started my transition journey, now looking back, I think I knew on some level since I was young that I was a lesbian, but it was like really deep in the back of my mind, like really deep. So when I started my transition journey, I thought of myself as, oh, I'm not heterosexual. I'm something different. I'm something weird. I have to figure that out. But like trying to relate to people but from my male identity doesn't really work when you're physically female, like in a sexual way. It doesn't make any sense. So I think... I don't know, it just kind of confused me and it confuses a lot of kids, I think. Um, especially with the whole like eroticizing gay relationships and eroticizing and romanticizing uh, like gay sex, especially on Tumblr and stuff like that is like huge. So my perception of myself was not in a s- sexual setting was not accurate. It was more of a fantasy. Hmm. Yeah, so... Do you I think that's know. because you were exposed to sexuality before you experienced it? And by that, I mean, 100%. you got all your sexuality from a screen, not from some sort of welling up. A hundred percent. Like, um, I, I'm going to make a video on this about like my reading habits and how they kind of, uh, informed some things, but like, hmm. so when I was younger, like under the age of 12, I was reading like Dragon Lance and Mech Warrior. And like, I don't know if you know, it's like, fantasy sci-fi stuff like they're all adult books and then so when i was like 12 13 14 i was like more interested in romance so i started reading heterosexual romance and i was like this is disgusting why are the women so helpless and useless why are the men running around doing everything i was like this is garbage so then i found a bunch of books about like women who went undercover to become knights or women who went undercover to like be um like soldiers in the military stuff like that and I thought that was super cool, but, and I, it became every part of my life. I would watch like K dramas about that. I would like, I don't know. I, I was really obsessed with that. And then I found all this gay romance stuff. And immediately in my brain, I was like, if I'm a boy, I can be in the gay romance stuff. So like all of this idea of like being on equal footing with my partner, because if we're both men, it's like equal and like being homosexual, but not having to deal with the fact that I'm a female. Like, that was the big part of me being, like, a gay man was I was so disgusted with my body and I was so, 
like distant and, and like it was so incomprehensible to me because I had never felt sexual like I had no connection to my sexual self so it was much easier to just take on the role of someone else and be become that person that's mm-hmm. very odd because if you're having fantasies about gay sex then you're capitalizing on an attraction to the male yeah <laughs> and but you say that you're you're lesbian so like in and again sorry in your natural experience of you know real life sexuality were you attracted to women the woman well, form the the like um shape the so i never felt attraction till i was 18 or like physical arousal till I was 18. I think because I started going on antidepressants, like a really high dose when I was 13. Oh. That like, that's a hundred percent it. When I went off my antidepressants, like the next week I had sexual arousal. So that stunted your, the wiring, 100%. I guess. Yeah. And also like I started taking um, Ritalin when I was a kid and that stunted me also. Like I was the tallest kid in my class, like all that kind of stuff. Like I had a lot of chemical stuff in my youth that like affected me. Sorry, because what were you talking about? Oh, got, okay, yeah. So like, you you so, got uh, go. Oh yeah. I'm taking out. Yeah, like um I think I just wanted to be like an object. I didn't want to be like a participant really. Because hmm. I didn't know what I wanted. Like which is the same thing. I don't know if you saw my video about me like in the kink community. It's the same thing. Like I didn't know what I wanted, but I wanted to make people happy and I wanted to have a relationship. So I thought I would just kind of like take on the persona of somebody to be bossed around and told what to do. And then that would like, I didn't have to think or do anything for myself. Do you think that this was... Because I didn't have the tools to do anything for myself. Could you repeat Like I didn't that? have the tools to explore my, what was inside of me. Yeah. And they weren't being given to me by like my community. Okay. So it seems like you were taken up and through a series of... Uh, uh, circumstances to be set in a really abusive series of communities and relationships. Yeah. Um, like I actually realized this morning in the shower, like as a kid, I, I lived in like a, up till the age of like 12, my parents micromanaged me and my sister like a ton and our whole lives were very, very structured. Then after, like, at the age of, like, 14, my, we kind of became latchkey kids. Like, something happened in our family, and, like, our parents were never around after that. And I think I, I think I was, like, now looking back, I think I was kind of looking for somewhere that I could, like, have a structure to fit into the way I had at home. Like, someone telling me what to do so I can be productive and useful and feel, like, not shitty about myself. I was just looking for that somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And how did uh, Ritalin and psychiatric drugs get introduced to you? Were you just, somebody saw you being sad and they threw you at a this doctor? This like, also feeds into my whole, like, don't talk thing. So I have, like, ADHD. I don't know if it's obvious or not. But, uh, so as a kid, I was, like, hyperactive. And my parents were like, well, this is a problem. So they took me to, like, a doctor or whatever. And they were like, oh, yeah, you have ADHD. Um, I, the actual, the doctor who did, like, the like the full workup to see if I have ADHD. I really like him. I still talk to him. But then after I was sent to this like doctor who like he specialized in like the medication and yeah, so I was on Ritalin for a few years and then some people in the U S died. So then I switched to Stratera. Stratera is literally a depressant. Do you know how it fixes ADHD by making you so depressed that you're quiet? I'm not joking. That's what it is. And I was on it for 10 years. 
from the age of like I think like 11 to like I went off it like last year to like 21 and they had huge effects on me like stratera used to be used as a weight loss drug so I was like 90 pounds and like five six and like anorexic and it's literally because of the medication I was on but nobody like the doctors and my parents never thought I should just go off of it like all this kind of stuff had huge effects on my life but like like I said my parents were more concerned with me like being quiet and sitting still and behaving mm -hmm. than anything else um did you ever take hormones for transition no. okay like I uh I think I put this story up a few days ago but so I was seeing like um like a counselor through youth services um, as a teenager, um, she was mostly helping me with my family stuff because that was like way more like in the moment that was way more of an issue. But um, once that kind of settled down, she wrote me like a letter and I went to there is. OK, when I started when I was 15 and I started going to youth groups, getting hormones seemed like a complicated thing. You had to like join some kind of group where you'd go for like six months to do like group sessions to talk about your transness and then after they'd give you hormones or you had to go on a waiting list um, at this clinic and the waiting list was six months. But by the time I was 17, it was like, oh, there's these walking clinics where one day a week you can go and they'll just give you hormones. And there's like, oh, these doctors, these like four doctors, they're all trans. And even if they have a waiting list, they'll let you skip the waiting list if you just want hormones. Like if by the time I was 17, it's like so easy to get hormones. That was like five years ago. I can't imagine how easy it is to get hormones now. But she knew I wasn't out to my parents. The doctor knew I wasn't out to my parents. And they gave me a script for testosterone. Do you know what that does to your body? You can't hide that. Like, so I had it in my backpack for a month. And I kept wanting to fill it. Um, but, like, like, I was obsessed with the YouTubers who transitioned, right? So I knew what testosterone would do to me. And I was like, you can't just take that when you're living with your parents and you're closeted and nobody will notice. I was like... How the fuck can a doctor give this to a child? Like, I was 17. I wasn't a child, but, like, in the grand scheme of things, you're still a child when you're 17. Like, I don't know. So I ended up throwing it away because it was so tempting that I wanted to take it, but I knew it was, like, a bad idea. So I ended up throwing away the script. My plan was, like, when I moved to university, like, this was literally my plan. I would move to university. I would get a doctor. I would go on hormones, and I would get a doctor and have surgery. And, like, I didn't really like my family, so I thought I'd see them, like, one week at Christmas, one week in the summer, and I would just come home one one time and be like, I'm a man. Too bad. That was my plan. Um, but like I said, by the time I got to university here, um, I kind of had, like, space to explore things for myself. Yeah. And I never... I didn't get, like, a therapist when I moved here. Of course, I should have. But, um, like, being around the gender-critical people who were, like, questioning things and talking about, like, the roots and the basis of dysphoria... It was the first time in my life I really considered that. Like, the whole time I was with that, like, therapist, counselor woman, um, her partner was trans. And I think that, like, by it gave her bias. But she never asked, like, do you think your eating disorder could be related to your dysphoria? Or she never asked, like, do you think, uh, what's your sexuality? How comfortable are you with it? Do you think that would have a, an effect on your dysphoria like she never ever asked these questions she just she gave me a few coping and techniques for anxiety and then she was like oh i'm just gonna like we're gonna help keep everything together for now until i can get you to hormones that was basically like the plan which is the plan for everyone now and i told her i was like 
because uh, I had a really close friend who had like a, a lot of body image issues and they were doing um, cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy um, for body dysmorphia. And I told my therapist, I was like, can we apply some of those methods for body dysmorphia to my issue? And she was like flabbergasted. She couldn't understand what I was asking her. And I was like, if these are the people, even at that time when I was like drinking the Kool-Aid, I was like, shouldn't the therapists have some kind of like, I don't know, shouldn't they explore something? Shouldn't they be critical, ask questions, push you, make you uncomfortable before you make this huge decision? I mean, I thought that, but also I was like, I have so much to deal with. If I don't have to go through any of that to get the hormones I want, then that's good for me. Hmm. So so it seems like you had a chemical pubescence uh if you're if you're on a depressant and you're on renalin um and then you you said that your your automatic or your natural sexuality didn't become emerge into your awareness until after you got off the drugs um but at the same time before then you were uh, delving into various sexual communities and various sexual activities the sex wasn't about pleasure then it was about a form of communication or yeah like form of intimacy Yeah, intimacy, exactly. I think I wanted attention. I wanted love. I wanted... I was also... I'm an extremely curious person. I just... Like, even... It's kind of gross, but I mean, I was trans. And I I wanted a penis. I didn't understand how a penis worked or what it did or anything. And I wanted, like... Why did you want it, then? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Just to not not have what you did have well that's how it started so like like you said at the beginning it was internal at the beginning it was internal of i don't want to be female but by the end of it it was like i need to be a male so that i can be comfortable like it it morphed over the years so yeah at the beginning i was like didn't want to be a female but i was like oh if i'm trans i'll get a phalloplasty one day and i want to know how a penis is supposed to work and all that and like i said i was thinking of myself as a gay man so I was, like, just interested in gay sex, I guess. But ironically, most of the men I was, like, sexting with or cybersexting with were all heterosexual because I'm a female, of course, um, hmm. which, like, invalidates queer theory on its face. But, like, that's a normal thing that happens all the time. Anyway, hmm. yeah, so I was just interested in, like, penises. I was interested in how sex worked. I was interested in how people are aroused, what gets them turned on. Like, but all from like, a... From a, theoretical. an intellectual, theoretical. Yeah, like, huh. I was, I was like, sexting with people on a regular basis from, like, 15 to 18, like, almost daily, but I wasn't feeling anything or doing anything. It's like some form of research. Yeah. Or And also, it was, like, I felt like I was making the people that I liked and that liked me happy. Okay. It was, like, a form of, like, um, I don't know, like, male validation or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't know. And and like I said, like it made me feel useful. I have this thing about feeling useful. Yeah. Yeah. It it seems you're older now and I'm sure hmm, I almost said something to get me a lot of trouble. Um, How, how manipulated uh, looking back, do you think you were um, in that? That's the thing. How, how much were you just, putting yourself out there for that to happen i think there's not like a specific there's one person i can kind of point to who manipulated me but that was older when i was 17 i think it's mostly social like it's it's not like 
one person or two people told me like, oh, this is good. You should get into it. It's like I was just inundated with like you've probably seen in my videos. I talked about like a lot of trans people who are who do sex work have like a link to their sex work Twitter. And then on that Twitter, there's like all these nudes and videos and stuff. And like I saw and followed all these people since I was like 14. So like I saw kink all the time. It just seemed normal. Hmm. Just seemed like and they they presented as like you know how you're supposed to explore your gender like on tumblr they talk about that exploring your sexuality is almost approached with the exact same thing it's like oh if you want to try being a sub go for it if you want to try being a dom go for it if you want to try like i don't know bondage or whatever it's like go for it even though you're like a teenager and you don't know what you're doing really and yeah there's no gating for the teenagers yeah and like that's the big thing too is like when when i talk about all the stuff i was doing it was with like adults you know in their 20s like 30s and i was literally a teenager and, like, we would flirt with each other openly on public Twitter all the time. And, like, nobody ever questioned that, like, a younger person was, like, flirting with older people and, like, saying sexual stuff to them. And, like, it was so obvious that we were just going into DMs to, like, continue our stuff. And, like, nobody questioned that. How, or... did, how did you detransition out of that community? And I, assuming um, that, that you walked away from it. Well, okay. Um, so I have, like, that kink video up that kind of goes into this more, but... Um, so I kind of got like an online dom. Well, I don't know. I need to put it in quotes. He was my dom. Uh, when I was 17 from when I was, I think it was like about a year, but basically he was like one of the first people I met and I could talk to who had like real firsthand experience of all the stories I had been reading, like going to sex clubs and parties and like, I don't know, gang bangs or whatever, like really horrible stuff. He had like actual firsthand experience of how this stuff went. And he talked to me about it, and he basically, he was like, no, this is this part is actually horrible. Like, if somebody asks you to do that, don't ever do that. He, like, warned me about a bunch of shit, but he was willing to be my dom. Just, he was, like, warning me about the unhealthy elements of the community. Anyway, um, I was his sub for, like, like a couple months, a year-ish. And eventually, I just realized... I was attracted to the idea of being in a dom-sub relationship, but I actually didn't want to do that, like, in real life. And then I, um, it was around the same time that I started to realize that the queer community was abusive and was, like, harboring abusive predators and stuff. And around the same time that I started to realize that there was a lot of, like, narcissistic personalities who were, like, leading the conversation in the queer community. And I just realized, like... I had been given the environment where this was okay. And so I internalized that, but I don't actually know if this is me from the inside. Mm -hmm. So, um, like a couple of months after that, I started like dating my gay guy friend and it was like completely not that he was super, super anti kink. So it was like completely out of my mind. And then after a few months of that, I was like, I realized I never needed that. I was just told like, there's this idea that if you don't know what you want to do, if you want to please somebody, if you are not assertive, like, all these little things that make you a sub. But that's just, like, a lot of confused teenagers. So hmm. every confused teenager could be labeled as a sub. Like, that, it's, it's like, a mechanism for, like, taking, picking up kids and grooming them. Yeah. And how did you make peace or realize that you were actually attracted to women then? Is that, like a, is that like a big, like, oh, duh. Yeah, actually. 
Okay, so I was in um, I was in a master class. I don't know if non-musicians understand this. It's like a lesson, but a recital at the same time. So it's like a lesson in front of everybody. I was in a master class, and this cellist that I really liked was playing a Shostakovich piano trio, and there's this huge cello solo at the beginning. And she is such an amazing cellist, and it was so beautiful. And for the first time ever, my body was like, <gasps> and I was like, whoa, what is that? I was like, what, what's happening? And I, like, I couldn't process what was happening to me. And like later on when I was in my room, I was like, is that what sexual attraction feels like? And I was like, oh my gosh, I like girls. And I was like, does that, do I like boys? I've never felt that way about a boy. I was, I was just like, what? So <laughs> for like a few months, I thought I was bi because I don't know, it's complicated, but I hadn't, like, my whole fantasy of being with a man hadn't just, like, gone away overnight, of course. Um, but, yeah, I realized I was attracted to women, and then I experienced that attraction, like, a couple more times to, like, women, and I never, ever experienced it with a man. And I realized, like, when I imagine myself with a man, it's always, like, in a, like, kind of subservient position. But when I imagine myself with a woman, it's more like an equal partnership kind of thing. And I just felt so much more comfortable with that. And I was, um, even now though, it's hard to, after years and years of like wanting a penis and years and years of thinking I was a gay man, it's hard to completely like take that out of my sexuality, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it's still something I'm, did comes to mind sometimes. Did... Did uh, experiencing attraction to women um, help you to begin dealing with dysphoria in a different way? A hundred percent. Because, um, so up to that point, like I said, I thought of myself as a gay trans man. So I wanted to see myself as a male with another male. Then as soon as I realized I was attracted to women, then in my mind, like I was identifying as a male. So I saw myself as a male with a female. And like I said, when I was like 13, 14 reading, like, romance novels that are heterosexual creeps me out. I didn't want to be in that heterosexual relationship that creeped me out. And now I was going to be like the aggressor, like in my mind to be the man in the heterosexual relationship felt almost like, I don't know. I felt extremely uncomfortable, like very unhappy with that. Um, which was confusing to me because if I was really trans and if I had dysphoria and this is how you're supposed to cure dysphoria, shouldn't it like people always say gender and sexuality are not related. So if my gender is male, shouldn't I be able to experience my sexuality regardless of my gender? Like, no, they were lying to me. Hmm. <laughs> so, cause I wanted to be, I realized after a few months, like I wanted to be with a woman as a woman. I didn't want to be with a woman as a man. So then I was like, well, that's a lesbian. And it was like, ding, ding, ding. Hmm. I understood finally but then i like i said at that point i still thought transition was my only way of handling my dysphoria then i just decided i didn't want a phalloplasty like i never really wanted a phalloplasty but i always thought like eventually after i've done everything else i'll get it um but like i really wanted hormones and i really wanted double mastectomy and i was like oh i can be a lesbian i'll just get hormones and double mastectomy and then i'll still be biologically female and i'm a lesbian um i only had that idea for like a few months before i detransitioned I just have to put this out here. Not every heterosexual relationship is a dom-sub kind of thing. No. There's plenty I, of, like, harmonious male-female no, <laughs> pair yeah. bondings. I just want to say that. No, of course. Yeah, I think it's just, like, the way that I processed the information yeah. I was given. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it was like my filter at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, it seems like your, your, your development as a be, uh, human, uh, kind of did, it didn't go in the right order necessarily. Like, like your, your brain started processing sexuality before your body prompted the brain to think about it. Uh, you had a very controlled, uh, childhood and then a very stark drop off. It sounds like into just yeah. freedom. So you weren't given like a gradation of freedom. You're just like drop yeah. in a way. And so yeah. you, you went sure. and you found something to take, uh, to take the place of that structure in a way. Yeah. Which at the time, actually, I thought I was being like independent. I was being grown up. I was like, I'm taking the subway into the city all night and I'm like going to all these things without my parents' knowledge. And I was like, I'm an adult. But it's like, I was part of the herd. I was just following what everybody else was doing. I was fulfilling the requirements of me. I wasn't actually being independent. Yeah. Yeah. And so you started writing about this and speaking about this on YouTube pretty recently. Mm -hmm. uh, and what do you see your role as or what do you what are you trying to provide other people um and what are you trying to say about what's going on yeah uh, so a few things um first of all if you have dysphoria there's no guarantee that transition will make it better and dysphoria i mean and transition is not the only route for you if you have dysphoria so that's like a big thing because it's like medical malpractice. It like, say if somebody has cancer and their options are like surgery or chemo and you only told them about surgery, but not chemo, isn't that like malpractice? So how can you tell all these people transition works for them, but you never told them that you can just be like maybe gender nonconforming and get some therapy and learn to accept your body. That was never presented to me as an option. Um, also a lot of kids who fall into this, um, in my opinion, they're just confused gay kids who haven't come to terms with their sexuality yet. And being gay has a lot to do with rejecting gender roles. So it makes sense how they would be, I don't want to say confused because I don't want it to sound like they're not thinking, but that it would understand why they would like see themselves in that community. Um, and the last thing is just to be careful because that community, like any other communities, despite being represented as like your glitter family or whatever, there's predators there. And sex positivity is not all fun and games. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it could be games, but some not <laughs> but, so fun games. Yeah, definitely. Like the problem with sex positivity is you're always quest, you're always taught to like um, support everything and not question anything because to question is to kink shame. But it's like I don't know if you know about like daddy dom little girl kinks. It's like literally like a girl who like dresses like a five year old. And this person literally acts like her literal father and then they have sex. Like, you can be critical of that considering there's, like, a huge amount of incest between fathers who rape their daughters. Like, it's not something that you can just swipe away. But even saying that makes you a kink shamer. Like, you couldn't say that if you're in the sex-positive community. Mm -hmm. So, like, all of these tiny little harms that are happening, you can't criticize them. So you learn, like, to just not criticize anything anymore. You yeah. mentioned something called trauma bonding, where uh, people in the kink community inflict trauma on each other, or one person gets trauma, and through that trauma, they're bound up. It's this self-reinforcing abusive relationship that's kind of openly accepted or explored? Or 
yeah, like it's literally if you were on FetLife, which don't go on FetLife, but if you were there, thanks for the word. <laughs> or even on Tumblr, yeah, on Tumblr, there's like entire posts that are like uh, how to like take care of your sub after to make them like more loving and trusting of you. Or there's like posts about how to push your sub to the right amount of like pain and trauma that they'll bond with you after. Or like it, it's really disturbing. It's um, but they don't see it as a bad thing. They see it as part of like a part of their relationship um yeah it's really messed up how do we this is a really big question you don't have to answer it or just answer it to the best of your ability how do we um educate young people on how to properly engage with uh internet sexuality or how to be aware of how it's not real sexuality it's it's a filtered virtual environment yeah like How do we slow that down? Is there a way to slow that down? Is there a way to raise awareness? I have no idea. Like, I you would think that since kids are having sex younger and younger these days, that they would have more of an appreciation for what sexuality really is. But I think what's happening is that gay people or homosexuals, like, especially with lesbians, lesbians come out typically when they're older and uh, like they realize they're they're lesbians i think it's like the average is like 20 years old or something and um i lost my train of thought yeah i think that like so you would think that kids would have a better appreciation of sex if they're having sex younger but i don't think that gay people are actually having sex younger um that much like especially um like most of the trans men I know, they're very sexually repressed and like uncomfortable with their body in a sexual way. So like a lot of them, like me, they never actually had sex. So they like everything is theoretical to them. And also like with the whole like uh, sex positive thing with like queer identity, all of this stuff is like it's all founded on theoretical principles that are like unrealistic. So you kind of learn to see things in theoretical ways that are not realistic. Hmm. So that if you're seeing your sexuality in a theoretical way that's not realistic, it seems normal to you. It's very Matrixy. Um, yes. Which is ironic because the creators of the Matrix are no, trans. trans. Um, and it was supposed to be like the super, uh, you know, like the allegory of, of trans life. But it it's this it's this imagined world where you can interact with people and have relationships and connections. But once that spills over into real life, it doesn't fall out necessarily how the, you know, the, the pedo bear or like the ginger gingerbread man and, and the poopy unicorn like described it to you. Um, because the theories that build it, that allow this wonderful free for all of exploration and variation and imagination um, aren't based on, certain principles that mm -hmm. are how real life put itself together so far as you know, on a cultural mm -hmm. level and then on a biological level. Um, mm -hmm. It's even actively denies biology now. They're, they're coming out more yeah. and more anti-science. Um, like when I first started out. identifying as trans, I used FTM. Like FTM was in my bio, female to male. Like that was everybody. Like every single person on Tumblr had like FTM, MTF or non-binary. So like by the time by the end when i was identifying as male 
I didn't really think about it as like I'm rejecting my femaleness because like I was in denial of my female body. So of course I wasn't thinking about it, but yeah, it's like things just reality is distorted so much to the point where you can't see that it's not real anymore because you've been like, you've absorbed it so much. Like the whole idea of like gender is basically stereotypes, right? Like, how can you, yes. you can't base an entire ideology on stereotypes when if you're poor and you don't have the money to look feminine, does that mean you're not a trans woman anymore? Like, it just doesn't make any, like a lot of their stuff doesn't make any sense. Yeah. 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 yeah the performative aspect. Yeah. It's, it's a nest of contradictions. Um, but then adults, consisting, consenting adults can live in a fantasy world and deal with the fallout. What you were illustrating what the Peak Resilience Project is illustrating, what a uh, couple of psychologists that I've sp spoken to are illustrating, is that all this theory started in these little communities in academia and then were, was adopted by kink communities and now is uh, codified and right there on the internet and is now something that young people are, are being molded by. Uh, so not only do we need to find out how to inoculate people from being swept up into a cult-like uh, atmosphere, which is basically impossible, but there needs to be more and more resources on how to get out of that, how to deprogram that, how to deal with the trauma. I yeah. don't know if necessarily can wake people up because people are just going to have weird feelings like and then start. The peak trans thing. I What's think the peak trans? Uh, it's a big, it's a, I want you to explain it to the audience because it's kind of a thing. So peak trans is like, usually it's like a, a liberal feminist type person who supports trans ideology and supports trans people, they're like, oh, I support trans people. And then they see something like, like Rachel, uh, McKinnon. Name? Yeah. Like Rachel McKinnon attacking Martina. Um, yeah. Tina. For, like, so you see like a lesbian icon being attacked by some trans woman who wants to have like to cheat basically. And then some, a lot of people will be like, oh wait, that's trans ideology, but in the real world, that just means they're cheating or stuff like that. Like where, or like when trans women are um, transferred into female prisons and then they rape someone, like they have like a click moment, like, oh, the ideology doesn't prevent real life. So for me, I had a, quite a few of those like little moments along the way over the years until it kind of like finally clicked. Um, but cult survivors call, have this thing they call popping when you leave the cult when reality like sticks back into place and you realize everything you've been living is like kind of fake and I definitely had that when I finally it clicked in my mind that like I had like a list in my mind of like these are the narcissistic trans women who are like on Twitter these are like the abusive trans women who are on Twitter and it clicked in my mind like oh all these people are male they all have male biology and male socialization. And I finally was like, wait, despite all of the Julia Serena and the Judith Butler, they're still a male person doing male shit. So it finally like clicked for me. That was kind of my, that was kind of when things popped for me. Yeah. There's one critique that popped up and I can't completely ascribe to it because I have problems with the framework, but it's the gender critical framework. But the, uh, basically the statement is, if I can butcher it, is that, um, 
patriarchy as a pattern of behavior that men exhibit to dominate women and to control them is being completely unveiled by the trans community and the way that trans women are treating women women. Uh, and I see that a lot. And that's why mm-hmm. on, on a level, uh, the transrational folks, uh, they make it a point. Um, Kinesis, uh, she makes it a point. We've spoken about this. That, and, and other, uh, you know, old school, classic trans women, uh, yeah. like, I, I want to become a woman. I have to play by the rules. And I have exactly. to be like the best representative of somebody who, who's entering that, that space. Um, because I think that there's just different power dynamics when a man is around women. There's just different power dynamics. I know uh, we can critique that endlessly, um, but that's very worrisome. Uh, and like you say, the pattern of behavior is that we have a bunch of male abusers that are using the cover of this gender ideology to get themselves off or get themselves in power or shut it down other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I agree with most of what Kinesis says. Yeah. Um, most of what you just said. Yeah. So um, what caused you to speak out then? I mean, I guess you, you talked about your reasons, but what was the moment or did you just have so much material that you just had to throw it down? Yeah, I was kind of like that. It's pretty cathartic. Like um, most of what I'm writing and making videos about right now, it seems, um, I don't know if it seems like unprepared or like I'm not working hard, but it's pretty emotionally exhausting to like explain all this stuff and re-experience it. But um, yeah. actually what it is is, I just, with the Peak Resilience Project, they were talking about, like medical stuff and family stuff more I feel and I wanted to talk to people who are kind of experiencing this like on their own without their family's involvement or who I don't know I just wanted to get my voice out there because it's slightly different and also I don't think I had rapid onset so in case anybody else doesn't have rapid onset maybe they'll relate more to me um also there's like no Canadian detransitioners online. Like I looked so hard. There was no, there was a journalist who was doing a piece on detransition from she was Canadian. She was like, Okay, but I want to interview like I talk to Americans or talk to Brits, but I want to talk to Canadians. I'm a Canadian journalist. And I looked everywhere, like Tumblr, Twitter, Reddit, and there I could I could find like two detransitioned Canadians and they didn't want to talk to her. <laughs> hmm. And also I'm very concerned, like we don't talk about this very much, but since people are de- are transitioning for more and more ridiculous reasons and because you don't need to have dysphoria, I think that just means more and more gay kids are transitioning. Um, so I'm actually really concerned about the, like, the gay boys who are transitioning to be trans women. Um, I have one friend like that, and there's almost no visibility whatsoever. That, too, I posted everywhere I could think of, like Tumblr, Twitter, Reddit, um, asking, like, are you a detransitioned homosexual male of any age, of any nationality? Like, please contact me. And I had one person contact me. Hmm. And I think there's definitely like a whole wave of, of gay boys who are being swept up into this right now. Yeah. And there is no framework for a support network. Yeah. For them they, when... that, that's where the, a lot of the suicide is potentially going to happen. 100%. Like people always say like, oh, if you go hormones and surgery, you won't like you won't be suicidal anymore. Like, I, I literally know a trans man who got surgery and went on hormones and then killed himself. Like, it doesn't fix your problems. Like, that too is, like, if you want to transition, get therapy. Like, die, figure out your depression. Figure out your body image issues. Figure out your sexuality. Figure out your family issues. Then transition. Because 
Um, it's like Helena said when she like went on tea, she didn't have the mental health to cope with what she was going through. Like puberty is horrible. If you're going to go through your second puberty, you need to be like in the right headspace to handle that. Like you, you don't to somebody who's suicidal. Oh, I'll give them testosterone and they'll feel better. Like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. So I think that's another thing a lot of kids don't understand. And also like the, the trans children, they make me so upset because like, even as a teenager, the idea that I could be like a, a gay, um, a gay male seemed totally realistic to me. I was like, once I have all the surgeries and stuff, I'll be like basically indistinguishable, like not literally, but enough that it won't matter. And I could just live my life as a gay man. Like if you're like seven years old and your parents are telling you that you'll just get surgery and hormones and everything will be normal. Like, no, things will not be normal. Everybody trans who goes through surgery and hormones becomes like a quasi female male person. And you have to live with that for the rest of your life. And it affects your ability to be sexually intimate with people. It affects your ability to reproduce. It affects like every part, like your relationships and sexuality is an important part of your life. And these children have no comprehension whatsoever of what's going on when they're like six, seven years old and their parents are like, oh, it'll be fine, you'll transition. Like, it, it really upsets me. Like Jazz Jennings went on um, hormone blockers. So then she had a micro penis and they still decided to do the vaginoplasty. And then there's a bunch of complications because there wasn't enough flesh to do it. Like, these kids are being experimented on and like abused but through the guise of like progressiveness so it's okay it's just it's so upsetting to me there's a weird ironic horribly horribly ironic like gallows humor ironic um reconfiguration of the conversion therapy laws like in in the united states there are these conversion therapy laws where if you're gay your parents can't send you to no gay camp um in some states in some states. Uh, now they're tweaking those to say that, that if you are trans, somebody trying to talk you out of that is conversion therapy. Uh, yeah. The uh, irony, the dark irony is, is that, that is conversion transitioning therapy. is literal physical conversion. It's like yeah. your conversion. Like, <laughs> you're, you're turning a gay person into a straight person. Yeah. Like, visually. And, it, and it's like, it's post-facto. It's like, it's like me taking my car into a shop. I'm sorry, trans people and turning it into a convertible. Like it, it's going to be like not a perfect convertible anymore. I'm converting it into a convertible, but like, it's not going to be what it was. Yeah. Even if I you wanted it. Framework to begin with, to look like a real convertible. Yeah. Um, yeah. thank you so much for your time. I should let you go. Um, I'm going to link all your stuff. Your, your videos are wonderful. They're straight to the point you even got cats going on in the background <laughs> yeah uh, my are, is small and they, it's their favorite room so they're always here are you are you getting in contact with people setting up uh, or becoming aware of resources for people in your positions and, and uh, in your position and also male detransitioners do is um, that framework there yet well that's something i'm kind of interested in is um i would like to do some kind of project with some homosexual male detransitioners just to raise awareness um so that might happen in the future maybe but like i said it's really hard to find them um i personally like i have support groups if you yourself are detransitioned or considering detransition um i have discord servers and secret facebook groups i can add you to okay. um so contact me um through twitter and yeah twitter i'm always on twitter but okay. yeah tumblr reddit youtube whatever um yeah support networks yeah i don't really have any specific resources but i think it would be good if i could talk to 
I mean, like all this stuff is in the future. My immediate plans are just to get my personal story out. But um, it would be good to talk to some therapists. I would love to interview some therapists on my channels about different ways of actually like treating dysphoria or coping mechanisms for dysphoria because like it's just it's almost never talked about you're just giving like coping mechanism for anxiety and then they don't really go into it um mm -hmm. and like in my videos are very explicit that i'd like to go into everything very explicitly yeah. yeah i just spoke with a therapist who specializes in this named sasha ayad um i will send you her twitter contact and the interview with her will be up in very shortly um mm -hmm. so she she'd be one and she'd probably be able to also get you plugged in too other resources cool yeah so like in a in a few weeks for sure or a few months okay um, yeah so i'm also moving in two months so it's oh like well, there you go yeah constant transition with you yeah exactly <laughs> um thank you so much for having me on your channel um thank you ben i like even i can't even tell you like five years ago i was the only gender critical detransitioned man on twitter and now there's like at least 10 of us like there's nothing wrong with it there are dozens of us dozens but um, your twitter is gnc something i can never remember the last everything is gnc centric what's gnc gender non-conforming okay so because um when i detransitioned i kind of thought of it as like well now i'm a gender non-conforming woman and a lot of detrans people are gender non-conforming a lot of gay people are gender non-conforming and huh yeah i, I I feel like that's a really, hmm. like, I'm a gender abolitionist, so it makes sense to me to be, like, screw gender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, my, my first, my first, um, when I first became gender critical, my first URL was fuck your gender ID. Like, it was really, like, I'm on the other side now. Yeah, right? But, you come out swinging. When yeah, you decide to do something, you really do it. Yeah, and like everybody on Twitter or on Tumblr was like losing their craft. They're like, you can't even talk to this person. Look at their URL. And I'm like, I'm trans. So, <laughs> um, I don't know. That was great. But yeah, GNC centric. That's well, me on all. You're the kind of social justice warrior we knew more of. Oh, thank you. I didn't. Don't consider myself a social justice warrior. Uh, that was a joke. You. I wasn't. Because was... <laughs> <laughs> you're just a fighter. Thanks. All right, Ben. You have a good day. I'll let you know when this is up, okay? You too, Ben. And uh, yeah, keep in touch, okay? Bye. Ciao.